0: Which, for those of you who might be new, uh, is describing the chronological story of God's people. We're coming to the end of the Old Testament. And uh, what you just heard sums things up really well. Uh, And it's so good to to have that reflection as we start in here. I'm going to take a minute and pray because I just realized what I am called to do today is how do I say this? It's going to be hard for me to do it well. I actually rewrote this sermon yesterday. Um, because I, I think the significance is great, and it's, uh, it's going to be something that might be new or challenging or somewhat different for some of you. So let's pray together, and uh, then we'll jump in. Gracious God, um, you want us to know your truth. You want us to grapple with this story that has been, even in this uh, little uh, video segment, been presented to us about how you would come in Christ ultimately and deal with with our dire need of you. Um, God, we pray that in this time that your people will hear your truth, uh, spoken with love and with grace, and that they'll receive it and they'll grapple with it if they need to. God, we want to know your mind, your heart. We want to understand the reality which you have created and which is so that we can know you and love you and follow you faithfully. So, Lord, be here with us, we pray. Move by your spirit. Um, and, uh, and bless us. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm wondering how um, you are doing as a congregation, I suppose, in terms of where we're at in the story right now. Um, I've been feeling, and I know others have too, uh, because they've told me that, that we're hearing a lot about sin and idolatry and judgment. How many of you are feeling like that? It's like, okay, Chris, enough, you know? Um, you're smiling, but you're not raising your hand. (laughs) Literally, a few people have said to me in the last week or so, I can't wait until we can get to Jesus. You know, anybody feeling that way? Like, he's just around the corner, right? I mean, we only have two or three more in the Old Testament. Then we'll get to that good stuff, if you would. Um, uh, But here's my thought about this reality, which essentially I'm going to address today. As we go through the Old Testament, um, we are reading and we are hearing consistently about the unfaithfulness and the idolatry and the sin of God's people. That's their lower story. That's their experience of faith and of God. While God has the upper story, he's, he's continuing to move even through this circumstance to accomplish his purposes. But this reality of sin and idolatry and and, and unfaithfulness is just somewhat overwhelming. And and, and God comes along and and, um, he's he's judging these people and and, then he he sends Israel into exile, the northern kingdom into exile and they disappear. They're assimilated into Assyria and and, and on and on it goes. Um, And probably you've been hearing more from me Uh, about these things than I normally preach. And that's challenged me a little bit because this is all Bible, right? Um, But I I guess the reality is that I do tend to focus on the New Testament and and talk about the incredibly good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us and what that means for us. Um, The New Testament essentially does this, especially when you think about the judgment of God toward the Israelite people in one way or another. What the New Testament does is bring us to, to the solution that the Old Testament presents as a problem. Um, It it comes to us in this way. It's almost like, if, if you want to think about it, you can't really appreciate salvation and grace. You can't really get blown away by what Jesus has done for us on the cross without first knowing the desperate problem from which we are saved. Um. We're seeing in the Old Testament, generation after generation after generation, people who cannot get it right. We're hearing about their sin. We're hearing about their idolatry over and over again. We're hearing about how God responds uh, as as he brings judgment into their lives. What we're seeing essentially is that inherited sinful nature that's come through generation after generation from Adam and Eve since they sinned. Um... And, and we're seeing the reality of how that's taken hold in the fabric of human lives, which keeps God's people from being faithful to him. Um, and what we're seeing in that reality and what we're seeing in the judgment of God that comes to it is the desperate need of God's people for something more. And what that more is, and we'll get to it in the end, is the person and the action of Jesus Christ on our behalf to save us from a desperate place. Here's my contention to you today. A lot of believing people, a lot of Christian people, followers of Jesus, um, often don't recognize how desperate the need is before they come to Christ. And as a result, when they get into faith, they appreciate it, but they don't have that deep appreciation for what has been done for them in Jesus. So we've got this contrast almost set up between the Old Testament and the law, which says in the New Testament was insufficient to get us where we need to go. We're seeing the sin of God's people, their inability to be faithful to God, and we're almost, and I can can say this respectfully, we're being set up for some incredibly good news to come. I want you to dwell on that as I go through this, this sermon today. I want you to understand that what we have to do is see the whole story, although we're right in the middle of part of the story right now, which seems sort of negative and hard. I mean, this is some of the hard teaching of the Bible that we're going to be addressing today. Um, But recognize salvation is not that big a deal until we recognize what we are being saved from. But when we can get it, when we can understand what we're being saved from, we stand back and we look at Jesus and what he's accomplished in our lives and go, wow, that's amazing. All right, that's the overview I want to jump in today. We're going to look at Judah, the southern kingdom. We've dealt with the northern kingdom um, of of Israel when the kingdom was divided. Um, And while there were five good kings out of the 19 in the history of Judah, uh, there were 14 evil ones Kings who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, they brought in idols from surrounding nations and they worshiped them and they, they really offended God. They broke their covenant commitment to the Lord. And in the end, God judged Judah too. Like Israel, God raised up, if you want to call it this, a superpower um, called the Babylonian Empire. It's about 140 years after the Assyrian superpower has come into the northern kingdom, Israel, and exiled those people. Um, The Babylonians are raised to power and they are east. uh, Babylon is near the Euphrates River in the east. Uh, And what happens is that three times Judah, under the leadership of its kings, rebel against that overlord, that superpower of the world. They don't want to pay taxes and so forth. And and, and, and twice the Assyrian army, I'm sorry, the Babylonian army comes and and crushes the rebellion. And each time they take exiles with them back to, to Babylon, where they would be the slaves and the servants of that people. But the third time Judah rebelled against the Babylonian power, their army came, and they finished it. They destroyed Jerusalem, they tore down the temple, they destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. Essentially, they razed the place. And in that last exile, nearly all of the people of God are taken off into exile in Babylon. Um, The difference this time, though, compared to the story of Israel, is that God, through his prophet Jeremiah, promises that in 70 years, you, the people of God, God will bring back to the land. God will allow you to return to this place. God will not allow you to be assimilated as the northern kingdom was assimilated. He will be faithful to the covenant that he has made to Abraham and Isaac and all those great people, ultimately to David himself. God said to David, your son will sit on the throne. David being from Judah, Jesus ultimately coming from Judah. You see, God is carrying on his upper story through the nation of Judah, now being more commonly referred to as Israel again. God will be faithful. God will accomplish his purposes through this people. Now, two primary prophets, Jeremiah being the first. Um, He serves as the prophet of God mostly prior to this final exile. Uh, But his, his words are challenging. 2.42 in the story, I'm going to read it to you. But Jeremiah answered them, those who had come from the king, Tell Zedekiah this is what the Lord the God of Israel says I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you and I will gather them inside the city I myself will fight against you with an outstretched arm and a mighty arm of furious anger and in great wrath. I will strike down those who live in the city, both man and beast, and they will die of a terrible plague. After that, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, and the people of the city who survived the plague, sword, and famine into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to their enemies who want to kill them. He will put them to the sword. He will show them no mercy or pity (laughs) or compassion. Wow, right? Does that sound like the God you know? And herein lies the challenge. You know, Jeremiah didn't say those words easily. He's called the weeping prophet. Do you know why? Because when he prophesied, especially one day when the exiles are being taken away, he stood there prophesying, but he was crying. He was weeping, brokenhearted because of what was happening to God's people. The other great prophet in this era is uh, Ezekiel. Um, And most of his ministry happens, most of it, it, actually in exile, uh, not, in, not in, in Judah itself. But I want you to listen to some of, of uh, these words that he wrote, uh, 236 um, in, uh, in uh, the story. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against the mountains of Israel. Prophesy against them and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys. Now listen, this man is speaking for God. I am about to bring a sword against you. I will destroy your high places. Your altars will be demolished and your incense altars will be smashed. I will slay your people in front of your idols. I will lay the dead bodies of the Israelites in front of their idols. I will scatter your bones around your altars. You will live wherever you live. The towns will be laid waste and the high places demolished so that your altars will be laid waste and devastated. Your idols smashed and ruined. Your incense altars broken down and what you have made wiped out your people will fall slain among you and you will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to be preaching today some of the hard stuff of scripture. That's why I prayed before. Because how do you make sense of this? What do you do with it? Um, Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel came with a hard message. And it was a message of destruction and of disaster. And both said it would come... As of God. Here's my question for you today. What do you do with the judgment of God in Scripture? A lot of people simply don't like it. They have this sense about this expression of God that just doesn't fit their understanding of God. You ever feel that way? I've had people say to me, it's not Jesus-like What I just read Somehow it doesn't fit So the tendency that such folks have Good people who who know Christ and love God Their tendency is to dismiss passages like this As somehow off and not relevant anymore Uh, they, They want to ignore them Sometimes they just simply refuse to believe What's written in the scripture But the problem with that position And I want you to hear me in this is that judgment is throughout the whole Bible. You know, all the way from Adam and Eve when they sinned, and what did God do? He cast them out of of Eden. It was a judgment. You can't be with me anymore because you've sinned. And all the way to the end of the book of uh, of the Bible in Revelation, where it says there will be a great white throne of judgment where those who are not in Christ will be cast into eternal hell, separation from God. You know who sits on the great white throne of judgment? In Revelation, Jesus, Jesus, um, Jesus himself. After he speaks those incredible words, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a famous, remarkable verse that captures what God has done for us in Christ. But I want to read to you John three seventeen and eighteen, which says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But listen, for whoever believes in him is not condemned, great news, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And there it is again. I want to say to you, rather than just saying, well, that's Old Testament and we write it off, there's a consistency in the Bible from beginning to end about the reality. The reality that God is judge and that God ultimately will judge. Challenging stuff, but this is what I want us to dig into a little bit today. And here's the point God is holy and righteous in all he does, and that includes the judgments which he makes. His judgments are holy and righteous because he is holy and righteous. Think think about this for for a minute. Think think back to the whole uh, northern kingdom of Israel Um, and of Judah, too, for that matter. What would would have happened if God hadn't judged both nations? You see, these, these two nations, as we've talked about at length, they exist to display the glory of God to the world. They are there that people might look at them and see and understand the reality of their God, what if God just left them in their idolatry and in their rebellion while they misrepresented God to the world? It wouldn't have been right. It wouldn't have been good. So God acted. Think about the northern kingdom. Some people, and it's been said to me, it's been implied to me in various ways in these last few weeks, you know, how could God, you know, allow the Assyrians to capture these people and exile them? To Assyria and have them assimilated into their culture so that they're just gone how could God do that to his people? Well, I think just as easily you could stand back and say what a remarkable thing it was absolutely remarkable that God chose to wait 208 years Sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to cry out to his people, calling his people back to faithfulness to him. But he waited 208 years before he took an action, which he did, which was an action of judgment. God's patience was immense, it was huge. And when he acted, his action was right and it was good, it was not wrong basic point is this my friends and I want you to grapple with this in me God judges sin a lot of people have said to me you know Chris um we're not to we're not to judge and I say that's exactly the point I totally agree with you and too often the Christian church has made the mistake of judging people thinking somehow we're better than them because of our behavior no we don't do that we're told explicitly in the Bible don't judge because while we're not to judge, God is the judge. It is for God to judge, not us. That's not our place. But God does judge sin. You see, it's in His character to do so because He is holy and because He is righteous and because He is just. My friends, I wanna really challenge anybody here. If we think that God can or will simply just dismiss sin, rebellion, idolatry, unfaithfulness, just because he feels like it, we have a really wrong view of God. Or, we have a really wrong view of sin. It's one or the other. We, my friends, can't dismiss passages such as we're looking at in Scripture. We've talked about living under the authority of Scripture. And what that means is essentially, if our ideas don't line up with the ideas that God has revealed in his book, the Bible, If our ideas don't line up with what God has has spoken, it is not the Bible that we have to reject. It is not the Bible that we have to ignore or somehow set aside or want changed by removing passages from it. It is our ideas that need to change about what it says. See, my friends, um, we can't dismiss or ignore Scripture. We have to go to the Bible as the revealed will of God, revealed and inspired by the Spirit of God to bring us the reality of God's truth. And we have to let that reality, can I say it this way, inform our faith? Can I go even farther? We have to let that reality form our faith and understand what God has spoken to us and accept it and believe it. So we have to come to this place of saying, no, we don't set Scripture aside, even though our minds might not grasp it, even though we might not like it. Could it be that our minds are more influenced by our culture than by Scripture? I think so in this regard. No, God is judge. He is presented that way from the beginning to the end of the Bible, and we need to embrace it. What else can we learn as we go forward in this? Well, I want to take a moment with the good news, which is to come in our story series. Um, When the unfaithfulness of Judah is laid bare, when the bad news, the bad reality is made known in incredibly powerful ways in Scripture, as we have been seeing and reading, it is after that reality and because of that reality that God sends Jesus into the world, His Son. And and all of a sudden, when when we understand the dire circumstance of every human being born into this world under the judgment of God without Christ and without grace and without forgiveness, then his coming becomes not only good news, it becomes incredible news. It becomes this remarkable news that in spite of our inability to be faithful to God and maybe even because of our inability to be faithful to God, Christ has come and he, listen to me, he he has died on a cross and he has taken our sin to himself and he has taken our guilt to himself. And I want to tell you, my friends, he has been judged in our place so that, so that what? We will never be judged as a result. It It is done. You know, one of the most remarkable verses in the New Testament, in my mind, it's one of my favorites, Romans 8, verse 1. And it says this, therefore, I didn't write it down and it's not coming to me. Therefore, are those, oh, I can't believe I can't remember this verse. It's my favorite verse, honestly, people. Let's see who gets it first, okay, guys? There, therefore, there is no condemnation. It comes to me. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? If you get this contrast between our dire circumstance and what God has done for us in Jesus, it's like, wow. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. It's gone. And you will never be judged by God because the judgment has happened in Jesus. And we are forgiven. Christ has paid the penalty. He's taken the judgment on himself. And we are forever free of it. And that is an amazing thing for those who are his. You see, what we have to do is understand the whole story from beginning to end. I know we're kind of stuck in the judgment, sin part of the story, and it's sort of heavy and challenging and difficult, but Jesus is just around the corner. (laughs) And I, like others, can't wait till we get there. But my friends, all he is doing is addressing the problem of the judgment of God under which human beings live until they receive Jesus as Savior and his Lord. So, we learn that. We understand that, point number one. Point number two, for God's people, and that's us, I, I trust, um, the Lord comes, and we see it in, in the story of Jeremiah and his promise to these people. The Lord comes to his people, and as they're being exiled, Jeremiah cries out, it, it's, it's not forever. It's only for 70 years. Um... I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this passage. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 6. It's page 236 in the text. And I'm going to start at the end of the passage I read earlier, which is one of the passages of judgment from Ezekiel. And the latter part of, of this verse we're going to read, your people will fall slain among you. But I want you to hear this little phrase, and you will know that I am the Lord. People will fall slain among you. But what's the result of this? you will know again that I am the Lord. But I will spare some of you, uh, but I will spare some, for some of you will escape the sword when you are scattered among the lands and nations. Then in, uh, in the nations where they have been carried captives, those who escape will remember me how I have been grieved for their adulterous, by their adulterous hearts which have turned away from me, by their eyes which have lusted after their idols. You will, they will loathe themselves for the evil they have done. You know what the New Testament calls that? Repentance. And for all the detestable practices, and they will know, here it is again, that I am the Lord. And then it says this. They'll know this. I did not threaten in vain to bring this calamity on them. See, God has a purpose in this exile, and that is to bring his people back to a knowledge of himself what this is described as in the new testament is the discipline of god there are times in the lives of god's people whether corporately or individually where god has to act in challenging ways in order to restore us to himself it says in first peter the judgment has to begin where in the household of god And this isn't an eternal judgment, but this is God allowing the Babylonians to be raised up to bring suffering to the lives of God's people to produce holiness in us. What we see in the the people of Judah is that God is at work because he will not leave them in their sin. And he is going to allow these Babylonians to do what those Babylonians did so that ultimately he might again have a people who love him and who serve him faithfully. The redemptive suffering of God, which is allowed in our experience. I want to read from Lamentations to you. Chapter uh, 3, verse 22, uh, and it is page 244 in the story. And I have a purpose for doing this. It says this. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horns or the strength of your foes. And then this, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Note that word, hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's where we get the song, Great is Your Faithfulness, from. Because goes on to say, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. So even though there are times, my friends, when we struggle and when we hurt and we experience the redemptive suffering which God allows into our lives to draw us back to himself, yet we hope in him. Because God is at work and God is accomplishing something beautiful in our lives. So, what does this mean? Let me ask you this question. When the word of the Lord comes to you, as it came to the Israelites and the Judites, generation after generation after generation, when the word of the Lord comes to you, I'm gonna ask you a really important question. What do you do with it, people of God? What do you do with it? You know, we can close our ears, you know, plug our, plug our ears so that we don't hear, we don't respond. That's what, that's what. The kings of Israel did entirely 19 of 19, 14 of 19 kings of Judah did it. It's almost like when we're little kids and, and you know, mom and dad or mom or dad is saying something to, something to us and we plug our ears. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. da 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 da, da. You know? That's, that's what they did. God spoke. And they, they closed their ears to him. And ultimately, they were exiled for 70 years so that they might start to listen again. My friends, when the word of the Lord comes to you, what do you do? Do you close your ears to the voice of God and essentially force the hand of God toward judgment slash discipline? I want to tell you, if we close our ears to God as God's voice is made made abundantly clear to our minds and to our hearts. We do so at our peril. Because God will act, so says this text, to wake us up, to shake us free from our sin, to draw us back to himself, which is ultimately for our good. Contrarily, when the word of God comes to us, what we can do is to hear and acknowledge that God has spoken, receive what he has said, repent from our sin, whether it be idolatry or otherwise and avoid any need for redemptive judgment in our lives. That, my friends, I would recommend to you, quite frankly. That's what God longs for, a people who is responsive to his word, a people, who is hu- who, a people which is hungry to hear the voice of God spoken through Scripture, a people who is ready with a softened, humble heart to repent of any wrong that the Lord might identify in our lives and seek forgiveness for it and be drawn back into relationship with God in intimacy and in love. Which journey would you prefer to take, right? Like, seriously, I hope it's the latter, and not the former. There's a story, I'm not going to reference it just because of time of evil King Manasseh. I believe he was the first king under which Jeremiah served, if I'm not mistaken. He was evil in the sight of God. He allowed idolatry. He worshipped idols. God raised up Babylon, and they came in their power. It was one of the early rebellions, and he was captured and arrested, and you know, bad things happened. But the man repented of his sin and God blessed him and blessed his nation after the fact. My goodness, God wants to bless us in love. What do we do when the word of the Lord comes to us? Here's another point to to grapple with in in this text and in these ideas. Based on God's upcoming judgment for those who are not in Christ, based on the upcoming judgment of God for those who have not come to Christ and been forgiven of their sin and who are not free of the judgment which is to come. I want us here today to understand the incredible need for people to be saved from that judgment. You know, many Christians no longer believe in the need for evangelism, telling others about Christ. Or at least they don't give it any weight in their lives. You know why I think that is the case? It's because many people have given up a belief in God as judge. But my friends, according to Scripture, from beginning to end, God is judge. And for people who are not yet under the grace and the forgiveness and the love Of God. That is their destiny. Let me say this to you. And believe me, I don't say this to you without having spoken it into my own life. Every person here who knows Christ knows people who desperately need Jesus. And I thought maybe the most penetrating way I could pose this reality to you, because again, I've done it to me. is ask you this question. How many of us here today, how many of you, like Jeremiah, have wept for them? That struck me. I want people to come to know Jesus, but I haven't wept as Jeremiah wept. See, it's a powerful question because as the New Testament says, God has provided a way of escape. He really has. God has gone to the nth degree. He has sent his son into the world to address our desperate need of salvation. And this brings us then to the last point because people need to hear about Jesus. They really, really do. And this last point is is this. We need to know, as was the case in Jeremiah's life, that we are all called to speak for God. Let me read to you his calling 237 in the story. It says this. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. The Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, like most of the prophets, was a reluctant prophet. He was ready to say, God, I can't do that. Anybody here feeling like that today? (laughs) I can't do that. but i want to tell you god it says in ephesians 2:10 has created us we are his masterpiece that meanwhile we might do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do and can you imagine a greater work that god invites us into than telling people who are under the judgment of god that there is a way of escape and that his name is jesus it's an incredible message we have And my friends, we cannot keep it to ourselves. Whether that be as a church, whether that be as individual people, we need to speak the message of the saving work of Christ to those who need to hear it. You know, one of the odd things about Not odd, but dramatic, remarkable things about Jeremiah is that God called him to spend his whole life as a prophet, a preacher who essentially said, you're sinning and and, and you're breaking the covenant, you need to repent and you need to come back to God. That was his life. God said to Jeremiah, you will do this your whole life and no one will listen to you. Wouldn't you love that assignment? Your entire life. Can you imagine being someone like me? Chris, I want you to preach an inner kip and I want you to pour out your heart before those people. I want you to speak for me, but nobody's going to listen to you. It mustn't have been encouraging. And you know, no one listened to them. And as a result, they were all sent into exile and Jerusalem was razed to the ground, destroyed. <laughs> but you know, I want to say this Jeremiah was not called to be successful, he was called to be faithful to his God, and to the call of God in his life. You know, we could all go from here today, every single one of us, and this week we could share Christ and the hope that we have in Jesus and the opportunity that those who are under judgment have to be set free in this incredible good news. And it could be that nobody responds in faith. You know what? That's not for us to accomplish. That's for God to accomplish if God chooses We're not called to be successful, but we are called to be faithful, to be the voice of the Lord in this world, to communicate this incredible message that God is so in love with people and so passionate to be back in relationship with them as he was in the Garden of Eden. He wants people back into relationship with him. That he sent Christ his son into the world to die on a cross to take upon himself our judgment so that we don't have to. That's incredible news, especially when we know how dire the circumstance is otherwise. My friends, sometimes, and, and I'm going to wind down with this, sometimes in this culture of ours, in this time of the history of the church, the gospel has become nothing other than what's called a therapeutic gospel. Come to Jesus, and you'll live a better life. Come to Jesus, and, 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 and you'll be better off than you were before. Now, I want to tell you, if you come to Christ, if you're not there yet, you will enter into something called eternal life, which begins the, the moment the eternal one enters into your life, Christ himself. Jesus called that life an abundant life. It is the life that we were created to know. It is good. But I want to tell you, Jesus didn't first and foremost come into this world and die on a cross that we might live a better life. Jesus died on the cross that we might escape. And I'm going to use New Testament words, the wrath to come. He died on a cross that God might form for himself a people So that through eternity, those people might be in relationship with him and might know the the abundance and the goodness of life in Christ, both here and in eternity. Now, the fact that we get to live a better life in that experience is good and it is right and is what God wants for us. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that we might be saved from the judgment of God, the good and righteous and just judgment of God. And my last comment I want to make here today, having challenged those who are in Christ, is to speak to those who may not be yet. I don't know a lot of people in this room. It's always the way it is every Sunday morning. I don't know a lot of you. And if those of you, those of you whom I know, sometimes I don't know you very well, right? But what I know is for those people who have not come into God's presence and prayed from the depth of their being that God would forgive them for their sin and trust in Jesus' work on the cross and know that they can be forgiven because of what Jesus has already done. And for those who have never come to that place of fully yielding their lives to Jesus, well, you desperately need to so that you can experience the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion and the goodness of God Versus a pending judgment. You know, when I say these things, I hope in my heart I'm like Jeremiah and I'm weeping. You know what I mean by that? I don't want to say this with harshness. I want to say it with love. I don't want to say it with any sort sense of glee. I'm just here to tell you what the book says. And if you want to come into that place where you experience this grace and this forgiveness and this his mercy and this compassion. You haven't yet given your life to Christ. Come to Him by faith. You can do it. You really can. And in that moment, Colossians, you can look at it later, I believe it's chapter 1, it is, verses 12 to 14, says that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, no, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. You see, there's this Dynamic, it's one or the other, my friends. Every single human being, it's one or the other. Are you in the kingdom of God? Have you come to Christ by faith? Have you escaped the wrath to come? Are you His free of judgment for an eternity? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to end today by saying a little prayer with those of you who wish to pray it along with me. It's a simple prayer that you can pray in the quietness of your heart. And it's very simple, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And I believe that you took my judgment upon yourself 2,000 years ago in Calvary. And I invite you into my life, here and now. Pray you'll forgive my sin, all of it. And from this point forward, I commit myself to you. My friends, that prayer said in utter... Sincerity will cause you to be transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus. It'll take you from being under the judgment of God to being forever free of it, so that you might know abundant life in Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord God, there could be people in this room today who, Lord, they haven't closed their ears to your voice, but yet they have literally heard you speak into their hearts and minds through what has been spoken here today. And they realize their dire need. And in this moment of time, they want, they want to come to Christ and to receive him by faith, that they might be forever freed from judgment. And so God, for those people who pray this prayer, prayer in the quietness of their hearts, we, we ask you to listen and to hear what they have to say to you now, that they might become yours fully and forever through Christ. If you'd like to pray this little prayer, just quietly pray in your hearts after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that you died for me, that you took my sin and my guilt, that you experienced my judgment, that I might be set free of it. And today, I pray that you will forgive me for all of my sin. And today, I receive you into my life that you might be my Lord and Savior. From this point on, I will follow you with everything I have. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that now there is no condemnation in my life and there never will be. Thank you that I am forever yours. Amen.